Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. I'm Graham Wilgos. Joining me, as ever, is Sir Bradley Wiggins. Good to be back after well, a few weeks away. Yeah, a little two-week yeah. break. Back, back. Good, good nice looking to forward back. to. We've got lots to speak about. We? we do. We've got lots to speak about. And I'm very happy to say that joining us again is Simon Guerin. Simon, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Absolute pleasure. But we've got a bonus guest this week. She is the new star presenter at the Home of Cycling. She'll be fronting all three of Eurosport's Grand Tours this summer. Orla Shenoui. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, not the star presenter, just the presenter. That'll do. Just the presenter. Don't well, have too much to live up to. You've, you've been billed as the star presenter now. Um, <laughs> oh Orla, let's start with you because you're, you're using your maternity leave to talk about cycling, aren't yeah. you, for the summer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got a lot going on. Yeah, I know. So I know. thank you for fitting us in. Not at all. Yeah, I'm supposed to be taking time off right now. My, my little boy is four months old, but I was only sitting at home watching cycling anyway, so I might as well be here talking about cycling as well. So, um, yeah, it's great to be involved. I'm really excited. We've got a great team, a great lineup, really exciting format. And two days in, it's very early, obviously, but already we're having fun with it. I have yeah. already forgotten yeah. what's happened yesterday, but we're having fun. So that's good. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been having fun on the new analysis episode that we have after each stage the breakaway Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about that yeah it's just a chance to I guess give cycling the treatment that we get with other big sports we see it with football all the time really where it's taken seriously to the extent that you've got a panel show you've got people talking about the issues around the sport and not just the action that's just happened. Um, so we're not just talking about the racing, we're not just talking about the geo, we're talking about other issues as well. So on episode one, we were talking about Marcel Kittel and his exhaustion and breaking his contract early with Katusha Alpesin. Today we were talking about sledging and about race tactics and it's just a bit more fun and it's a way to engage the viewers as well so they can send in the questions. I think what we're trying to do is obviously to cater for the knowledgeable cycling fans who tune in every year religiously and who know what we're talking about, but also maybe to make it a bit more open and a bit more accessible and bring other people into it. And and I guess to show that there's more to racing than just the racing. You know, we've got so many personalities in the bikes and so many stories. And this is where it's brilliant that Bradley's involved in it because we're getting so much insight that I've never heard before from racing. You know, and You've not been listening to Brad's podcast, to this podcast. I really. meant on Clearly television. Not, right? I meant as the race is happening, you know, because we're able to come back in and talk about the deals that are made between the teams as it's happening and and Bradley was talking about the time trial stage yesterday where we were going through what each of the riders will be doing at different times and as a journalist who's followed cycling for a decade now and this will be my 10th Tour de France this year they're the the things that I've always wanted to know from the outside so it's brilliant that we're now getting that insight into it I find that fascinating and also to just relax it up a bit you know a lot of things that follow cycling is so stiff and you know it's like everyone loves this sport i love it and we all enjoy it so we just say it as we see it without going over the top you know like he looks ridiculous on his bike doesn't he or that guy used to be a swan yeah and now he's a ds in a car you know yeah, it's just so just much things the, like that so much of this stuff you can't say when you're a rider 
No. Because you can't afford to piss off the director of the other team. Of because you know one day, if you're in a position, a vulnerable position, he's going to take advantage exactly. of that. And you can't really sledge the other, the other riders too hard because it's going to come back at you. Now you're on the other side of the fence. This is a safe space now. You can say anything you like in here. You're Almost anything. Safer space. <laughs> no say, safer space. So, yeah, and it's a great opportunity to be able to sort of really highlight about the different areas of the sport in a more relaxed manner, I guess. Yeah. Simon, just bring us up to date with you. How's the day job? You're at Goldman Sachs doing a sporting internship. Still going really well. Still going really well. So I've been there uh, coming up five months now, actually. Still learning a lot and, uh, and enjoying the new challenge. Excellent. And Brad, what have you been doing with your, your two weeks off since we lost uh, it What did I do? Our um, last pod. I just enjoyed actually cycling. watching cycling. It's nice to spend the weekend at home and watch Liège, those kind of things, and Flesh Wallone and that. And just, you know, as, as boring as Liège was... It was just nice to flick it on in the afternoon. I've been going out my bike a lot more recently. We had a, a nice spell where it was sort of 20-odd degrees, and I managed to go out in a short sleeve jersey, and now it's back to five degrees and raining. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, That's what we're all used to. That's what we're familiar with. Uh, but my son's been racing stuff, so I went to a race with him that he won. and that. So it's just nice to have a weekend at home, actually, because obviously we all work every weekend with cycling being predominantly races on the weekend. So. And just give us a word on Liverpool, because I think last time last they time we together... They have just finished second in the Premier League, which is a shame. Disappointing for a Liverpool but, fan uh, like yourself. But they brilliant. We lost one game all season, I think. We have to be so proud of them, really. And congratulations to Man City. Quite right. Well, on to, uh, on to, on to the, the good stuff and, and the opening two stages. I've got some lager with you. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, we can be arranged. I wanted to talk about uh, yesterday's stage, Saturday's stage, I should say, because I was going out Monday morning, um, and today's stage of the Giro. Yeah. It started with a bang, as, as any good party should, eight-kilometre time trial in, uh, in Bologna. We'll pick the bones out of that shortly. First, I want to talk about today, a proper sprinter's stage. This is how we saw it on Eurosport. Caleb Ewan's there, there's Viviani dead centre. Kiriani's in there too. Gaviria's going to make his move right now, comes to the centre. He's got a lead out man too. Uh, Gaviria lights it up, he gets onto the back of Caleb Ewan. Caleb Ewan's gone there, Gaviria behind him. There's the bar still in the frame and here comes Ackerman. Ackerman is a choice for Viviani to go behind. Ackerman's going to get in there, I think it does so. Just beats Viviani at the line. Caleb Ewan also in the frame and Gaviria. Well, Ackerman... Didn't do too much work, and he made it happen. That was spectacular. So, as expected, the finish in Fulcecchio, something of a sprinter's who's who, Caleb Ewan lit it up. Simon, to my mind, he decided if he was going to win it or if he was going to show, he was going to have to go early. Is that the way you saw it? Uh, it looked like quite a fast sprint. So, yeah, it looked like they might have had a tailwind. He had, obviously, a couple of guys with him leading into the final few hundred metres. He went, but his final lead-out man probably was still on the front a little bit too long. Caleb probably could have done his sprint a little bit differently, maybe run at the wheel to get more of a slingshot towards the line. But um, Ackerman was clearing above. He sprints in quite a small gear, doesn't he, Caleb? Is that, I think is they were just going the super fast. I think they were just going really fast. He looked fast. like he was almost revved out. Mm. He generally runs yeah. at least a 54, if not a 55, chain ring. Right. I'd be surprised if he had anything different on yeah. uh, today. So I just think it was a really fast sprint. Mm. Ackerman won it, of course. What do we think with Viviani? Because he seemed to me to pick the wrong wheel. And I th- in fact, I think you said... Yeah, you can see on the footage, Ackerman dives to the left. Viviani's just fixated on Gaviria's wheel. So he'd obviously chosen that I'm going to stick with him like excrement to a blanket. And... <laughs> turning it down now. So. I'm turning it down. A lot of kids listen to this show. Um, and, you know, that's the risk you take in sprints. It's like you, you pick your, your rider, really, and... It, and it's very difficult, isn't it, sometimes to change a game plan mm. when you're that focused on someone. And he wouldn't have expected maybe Ackerman. He just obviously didn't didn't give him enough credit 
perhaps in the pre pre race hype, and we all thought Gaviria was going to be the fastest, and he just didn't look like he had it. So yeah. I think for, for Viviani, it's more a case. I've got the legs. I just chose the wrong wheel, which is a nice position to be in. I think for Gaviria, he might be sitting there, tonight going, "Geez, man, what should I do?" You know, like because that's always that's a horrible position to be in. Viviani was the man for today. I mean, everyone was looking at him, weren't they? Orla, who was your pick? He was my pick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was he would be the one for today. So it was only Simon, wasn't it, that chose Ackerman? Simon is the only one who chose Ackerman. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, this, he this is why you're here. <laughs> I wonder about Arno Demar though, because we didn't get a chance to talk about no. him on the and on the breakaway. No. He was fifth in the end, but he wasn't really contesting that sprint. I wonder how much of that was one of his lead out crashing in the final. Was it five hundred meters or whatever? Or well, he, I think he's he going to be up off, there. But FDJ, they never really seem to know what they're doing. They're always a kind of a bit. The French mentality is they don't necessarily do their job properly. They just want to do a job so they can get to the dinner table at night and, and say, yeah, I was there. Je délange, je délange. Yeah. But, but not, actually do any, not actually achieve anything. Yeah, but he has got str- quite a strong lead out. He has got a strong lead out. He's, he's train, got a yeah. really strong lead out team not, in, we, this, in this yeah. year's Giro. But um, he hasn't really shown this year his no, former no, past no. seasons. No, no. So no. Maybe Even last year he wasn't. Maybe we, still, yeah. he's still searching for that, that, that last little bit of form. But these sprinters, I think we expect so much of them, don't we? And we spoke about this with Kittle and that, that we're guilty of it by saying, you know, we haven't seen that much of him. He's not shown the form of past. But yet, we, yesterday we were talking about, you know, kind of the, the criticism that he, that's heaped on them if they don't, once they've set the barrier, like winning San Remo and stages in the Tour and that, if they don't repeat that... Mm-hmm. You know, to say, well, they're not in form, you know, and I think we were talking about that with Kittle yesterday, and that's what they have to live with, and it's quite it's quite difficult. And I think that's where Caleb's coming from. Yeah. You know, that's why I think today actually will give him a bit of confidence that, you know, I committed, I got where in the position I needed to be, and I just didn't finish it off. Yeah, but I don't think any sprinter takes confidence away from not winning. Especially no, when you've I got that. I know he listens to this show, Caleb. The, so. this, this winning mentality. You, got like, back, you did all right. Yeah, I'll, like I have every confidence. Don't listen in to Caleb. this bloke. <laughs> he's telling me off very. I'll stand you. <laughs> not true, but he. Um, <laughs> but he's not going to take confidence out of running third. If he had a one, then I think no. We could but when see you look where he's come from, I mean, that's a new team. I thought Lotto actually committed pretty well to him there. Agreed. And the other thing is where he's shown this year has been more of the uphill sprint finishes, and today was maybe a bit flat for him. So maybe. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he would take confidence from at least thinking, right, I've got the form for stage four, but, I mean, you know better. Well, or if he hits that position where he was today on a different terrain, Mm -hmm. you know, he could win the stage. And I think, you know, it's just about mirroring that again. Okay, we just need to do that on on this stage, and I think I can, you know. Yeah, I hope so. I hope for him. Just give us a word on Saturday's TT. Simon, you've won on that particular climb your, uh, your 2009 stage victory. Where you you took on and beat the artist formerly known as uh, Chris Froome, yeah, yeah, and everyone else in the breakaway, <laughs> and, well, yeah. um, and everyone else in the stage. But um, yeah, I've managed to relive that victory uh, several times. Uh, this week a, must have this, been a very this, popular. This week, he's got a big photo at his house on the wall that I've seen it <laughs> yeah. in the living room. Yeah, a big mural, big vinyl poster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a tough, tough climb up to the finish there in San Luca. It's the race they use every year in um, the Giro de Emilia, one of the yeah. end of season classics. When I can race up there in 2009 for that stage. It was the first time I'd seen the climb. So I was literally relying on information from my teammates. That day we made it in, a, in the, the winning breakaway. We went away quite early in the stage. We managed to, to hold off the peloton. I think maybe half of, the pel- half of the breakaway got caught by the peloton. Yeah, but I did what I could to stay away there and survive to the finish line. 
Brad, on your own Giro memories, your mm. first Giro was 2003? Yes. Pantani's final Giro? Yeah, it was, yeah. What are your memories of that? Because you, you finished outside the time cut. You almost made it to the end, and you yeah. finished outside the time yeah. cut on stage 18. I just 18. suffering like a pig the whole thing. You know, it was just... Um, I wasn't fit enough. It was a lot different back then. You know, we didn't have the support structure. We went home after the classics, drank for a week, and then started training for the Giro. You know, there was no one chasing so, so it's your like back. my training. No, but it was, it was a very, very different time, and there was no one kind of on your back. You know, you expected yeah. to know what to do when you went home. And um, I took an absolute pasting. I managed to somehow get to three days to go, and on the, the hilliest stage of the race where it's snowing, climbed into a, a group that I thought was big enough that we'll get to the finish, we won't get eliminated. And there was a group behind with Pataki who'd crashed pretty bad the day before, and he had a few teammates with him, and I thought, well, they're never going to eliminate us if Pataki's behind, and he had the, the Chiclomino jersey, the points jersey. And they took us all out, 44 riders. And it was the stage Pantania crashed in the snow on a descent. Dalio Frigo won the stage. But it was because the last stage was a time trial in Milan. Mm. So there was less numbers that they had to shut the roads for for all these. So I was disappointed because I wanted to fish, but I'd, I'd had enough of suffering. Yeah. It, oh, you, I think you said at the time, it's the worst thing I've done in, like, in my life. It was life. horrible. Yeah. 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 And, and it, that's the difference now. You know, the likes of Teo and these guys, that are, the support structure they have, you know, they're in as as much pressure as is heaped upon them, and on, they put on themselves. I'm sure. In terms of duty of care, and that they're in the best environment to be looked after mm. and stay healthy through this whole thing. You mentioned Teo there. For this Giro d'Italia, there are five British riders racing, the most since 2013, which I think was your last Giro d'Italia. Yeah. Can you name? So there were six Brits in that one, in that particular yeah edition. Between us, can we name the other five? Do you know what? Alex Dysett. Very good. Who won a stage? I couldn't Mark remember Cavendish. what day of the week it was back then, let alone who's... <laughs> Mark Cavendish, yeah? Yeah, Cav, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who, who won the, he won the sprint jersey, jersey as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Brad's won, uh, so that's three. So another two. Simon, any offers from you? Must have been a Skyrider. Yeah, Must have been another be. Briton there. Yeah. There was no other Skyrider, no. a British yeah. Skyrider in there. Oh, I have no idea. Miller? Uh, so, no. yeah, Brad, Brad was doing an impression of him earlier. Yeah, David Miller. Dave Miller. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So he has been a Skyrider, but he wasn't a Skyrider at the time. Who? An- the other an- one. Another, another oh, one. Oh, um, he was before? Douse it was, wasn't he? Ben Smith? No. Yeah, I can't. I can't for life. Steve Cummings. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Who was uh, Steve riding for then? BMC. BMC. Simon's old team. Yeah. Yeah. Just to confirm, David Miller, Alex Dalset, Adam Blythe. That's an amazing oh, statistic. Yeah. Steve, yeah. Amazing he's, he's on, he's I'm on, glad uh, we spent five minutes talking about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to do something different. You know? We could have Googled it in half the time. There's no fun in the good We need to anymore. pad it out. <laughs> we need to pad it out. Pad the podcast out. So any other... Hang t- on, there's been a goal. There's been a wicket in the cricket. <laughs> Any other takeaways briefly on Saturday's TT? Because I think there's there's one big surprise is is who didn't win it. Primoz Roglic came in and, and sort of blew everyone away. I say, yeah, like the man I think he we... went to plan. I think we've spoke quite a lot about Tom Dumoulin, and but I think Tom was just. I don't think it'll affect Tom at all. Really, he's quite a laid back. I've never really had much of a conversation with him, but from the outside, watching his interviews at the tour last year, he just doesn't seem to get phased by anything. He'd be very calculated in his approach as well. Like you said, he's come from an altitude training camp, hasn't raced in quite some time, and at altitude it's very hard to do those big strength efforts or big powerful efforts that a yeah. finish like that would require. So I think looking at his position, he will say, well, you know what, that's not bad. I'll, I'll be pretty happy with that. Actually, Ola, how is he, how is he perceived in, in Holland? Obviously you live there. Yeah. 
What's his? What's his? How's his public persona? I mean, does he get a lot of pressure from the media there, or? I mean, I've I've only been there se- well seven months is quite a long time, I guess. But I haven't seen enough to see that he gets pressure. He's lauded. I mean, cyclists over there are almost as big as footballers. It's insane. I mean, I'll be in the playground with my daughter, and, and other parents will be chatting to me about Amsel Gold or whatever's happened at the weekend. And it's it, they just live and breathe cycling in a way that we don't have here. He is a hero, mm. and everybody's rooting for him. I haven't yet seen. And I don't know enough about the Dutch culture yet to see whether they then also try to bring them down the way we sometimes get yeah, here. Course, yeah. From what I can tell so far, it doesn't seem to be the case. They're all rooting for him. They're not waiting for him to trip up, I yeah, don't think. Yeah. So, he, so he gets a lot of a lot of support and a lot of love. Yeah, so yeah. he's not got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Doesn't seem so. No. But as you say, the riders put that on, on themselves, don't they? Yeah. So he doesn't need the public or the media to be doing that necessarily. Mm. He'll, he'll feel that pressure himself as a former we winner. Will, we will come on to Big Tom and the main contenders for the, for the overall, for the GC, very, very soon. Right now, more to come on the Bradley Wiggins Show right after this. Cycling fans across Europe will be able to watch all three Grand Tours live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player, available on the app and online via Eurosport.com. Eurosport Player also allows viewers to catch up and relive all the action on demand. Eurosport will bring fans unrivaled expertise and analysis from all the best moments of the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France and La Vuelta España. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer team is just saying we're a long way from building an overall picture of the GC and how the race will pan out and obviously there's a, a lot of a lot of things can happen between now and the end of the race however I do want to talk about the overall favorites who we fancy for for the GC we've mentioned Big Tom we've briefly mentioned Primoz Roglic Simon I'm going to start with you on this one because you think Roglic is coming a bit too hot don't you yeah, very much so. You look at his season today, you look at the, the form he showed at uh, the Tour of Romandie, and then you look at how much he, he, he dominated the first stage by. I think his, his condition is too good to maintain for three weeks, mm. particularly with such a back-end heavy race that the Giro is every year. So I think he's definitely too hot on condition, and I don't think he probably has the support in the team when it comes to the mountains that he requires in the, in, the, in the back end of the race. Even after watching today's stage, I'm sort of changing my mind all the time. But um, I've got to go with Simon Yates now, actually. You're going to go with Brad's man. Brad's fallen in love with him. <laughs> you, think yeah, he's, no, you think he's Simon Yates I in the right place? He, something about his demeanour this year that is different to last year even. Even the comment he made in the press conference is so unlike him. So go on, give us a... Do you, do you know what he said? Do you give us give it to well, us? Well, I, I know what I've been told he said. I don't so, know the context or the, the tone with it, you know. He said, and we're going to need to bleep me out here because the presenter should never swear, but uh, I, he said... I, if, My show you can swear. Thank you. <laughs> I have permission from Sir Bradley Wiggins to swear. <laughs> he was asked about who his who the favourites were, and he, he just answered flatly. And I think this was tongue-in-cheek as well, remember. Um, he just said, look, it's me. I think um, I am. And if, he always raises his voice at the end of the... He's he, well, yeah, well, every, every, every single sentence, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Um, he said if if he were one of his rivals, he would be scared, he would be f***ing himself. Yeah. I mean, that scene, that, I mean, that's, that's a lot to put on yourself at the start of a grand tour, you know. But I think uh, there's something something lost in translation there as well, because to a British ear, that's, that's, that's tongue-in-cheek. There's a bit of... Well, there uh, is, yeah. A bit of playfulness said, in there's there. There's quite a few idiots in that room as well. But what I will say is, he backed it up the day after in that prologue. Yeah. He's finished second, and he's right in there. He's beat Nibbly and all these guys. And, I mean, you've raced with him, Simon. You know, he, he, he's quite relaxed. You know, I mean, as a leader, I don't know. I've never really ridden around him, but... Is he quite vocal, telling the other guys where he want, what he wants to do in the bus in the morning, for example? And well, I never raced with Simon when he was a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he was my teammate 
when he first turned professional as a neo pro, we actually roomed together quite often. Those oh, early years. He's a guy that was very respectful. He would take on criticism. He'd take on you know, feedback. He'd take that on board and he would, you know, adjust what he was doing. Yeah. Um, so he was, you know, as a part of many teams that I was involved with over the years. I always thought he was very calculated in his approach and sort of really saw his potential as a, as a leader yeah. early days, early on. And it's fantastic to see him develop the way he has. Orla, as, as sports journalists and as fans, we like a bit of that, don't we? Like a little bit of uh, a little bit of peppery sort of smack talk. Yeah, I love it, and I don't think we get enough of it really in cycling these days. I think we're, and it's partly, I guess, the problem with immediate journalism is that riders put their guard up. I think there whenever so we had social media first came on the scene, it was really exciting because riders finally had this way to express themselves directly with the fans and not have to go through agents and not have to go through journalists. But then, of course, the journalists pick up on every single tweet. The fans then start retaliating to that. And so we find the riders wouldn't tweet their honest thoughts anymore. I mean, I remember you, Bradley, whenever you were at Garmin and going to Team Sky and the whole summer of speculation. And you tweeted something about... just been at the beach for a day of intense reflection or something and boom, everybody was on it. That's it, Bradley Wiggins is going to Team Sky. And so I think from then on, riders sort of backed off a little bit. And that's a shame, really. And so I understand why riders don't do that sort of trash talking anymore, I guess. I mean, even when you look back to Mark Cavendish and Peter Sagan, whenever we had the jostling on the the final stage of the Tour de France and, and Mark Cavendish crashed out, and you could just tell there were things that, that Cavendish wanted to really say, but he wasn't saying it. And he was saying, yeah. oh, I understand I'm being respectful and all the rest of it. And respect is obviously important in elite sport. But we need a bit of pantomime as well. But I'll tell, tell you what it is. Because it is fun. I'll tell you what it is. I've said it before. Most cyclists are really insecure, mm. really a lot of bravado, a lot of front. They're not really made up like boxers, for instance, or you know, UFC fighters like a Tyson Fury where they can just keep winding people up. And anything you say, you've got to be answerable to the next day outside the bus. And you get to the point where you just think, look, I was only joking, all right? I didn't mean to say that he's a complete dick, you know? <laughs> because everyone takes it to heart. And then that ride is so insecure. And they're saying, and then people around him. And it, and it just snowballs. And over three weeks, it's more mental energy that you're wasting. And you're saying, you know, why did, you know, I remember at the 2012 tour, I looked at Nibali in some way when we came over the line one day. And he, he had to go up in the press so I was disrespectful when he texted Dario Cioni that night. And I said, well, how did I look at him? I had glasses on, you know. <laughs> so then the next day, if you remember, I, we came across the line and I put my hand on his back, this, and just to, to show the just respect. Just to rub it in. No, show the respect, you know, like, come on. Stop being such a sensitive little bastard, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, so it's just not worth the, the hassle, you know, when you're out there for three weeks. You've got enough to deal with all this sort of pettiness. But things get blown out of proportion. They and do. I think, and I think that probably leads into why Simon Yates said, who do you see as a big favourite? Me. Because it's easier just to put it back on him and mm-hmm. say, just me. That way I'm not praising any of my rivals. or I'm, not, I'm not showing that I'm scared of anybody. It's just saying, you know what, I'm the big favourite. And it takes that away. But he's it after winning the Vuelta a España, you know, and he did, he did wear the pink jersey for how many stages last year. So it's not out of the blue for him to actually believe and say know, that he's the favourite. When you look at it, like, how ridiculous is it? He said, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah, bet yeah, against yeah. myself. And then Nibali's like... That's disrespectful, <laughs> you know. And it's like we get Tyson Fury going, Anthony Joshua is a bum, you know, and all this worst heavyweight we've ever had. Call me out, and, call and, me anything. I know, and it's like all these little cyclists going, oh, that's horrible. Handbags. I know, and it's like, and it's just, it's like how strong they are. They're all these little, little weirdy sixty-eight kilo blokes <laughs> in buses that are so insecure that they go, oh, 
that's disrespectful. But maybe that's why if we had more I know, of I know it, that because I've been there. I was yeah. the moodiest <laughs> of the lot. So I know this. And, and you're in, in the environment you're in promotes you to be like that. Mm. And it's horrible. And it's toxic. And it's just, I'm so glad I'm out of it. And I can slag them all off here now. <laughs> Go on, just because you said it earlier as well, what did you used to do towards the end of your career when you saw a rider down? Well, a rider I just couldn't be bothered with all these people crashing. And it's a bit high and mighty. And you think you're, you know, you've won the tour and all that. And it's like... No one's showing each other respect. And then there's a big tumble and you sort of ride past him, horribly so, and you sort of well, what do you expect, you idiot, lying on the floor? Serves you right. I hope it hurts. Proper sledging. Spit on him on the way past him. Um, no, you didn't. Don't. No. So we, we should, we should <laughs> talk about... That will be picked up. That will be the headline. Yeah. <laughs> Got to move it on. Got to move it on. We Breaking should talk news. about Nibbly on the bike as well as what he said off the bike in, in response to Simon Yates. He is a, an overall contender for the GC, isn't he, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. A guy who's won all three Grand Tours, but he's won the Giro twice. You've yeah. got to include him as a as a big contender for this year's race. And he's a guy who very rarely misses his mark. When he sees he's targeting something, if he's not winning it, he's very he's close. He's a class act. Absolutely. And also, I reckon if we get, because we've got so much time trialling, if we get the, the TV cameras on the motorbikes, getting those, those wonderful close-ups of his face as he's in agony in the time trial, I reckon that could maybe help his efforts slightly. Yeah. We need to talk about Team Ineos as well. No Egan Bernal out injured. So Teo Gagan-Hart and Pavel Sivakov, two of their youngsters in a team not noted for giving its youngsters a break. They've got the Well, it was a forced break, really, isn't it? I mean, great for us watching, you know, everyone who, anyone who knows Teo knows what an absolute gentleman he is. I think everyone's keen for him to do well. Mm. You know, maybe we're putting too much pressure on him. I don't know. But let's just, you know, take the shackles off and see how far he can get, how, how much he could do. He'll be his biggest critic. I think we saw that after the prologue yesterday, and it's just a case of... I was concerned yesterday. There's not enough experience around him just to settle him down. Mm. It's all right. You know, when I made my breakthrough in the Tour in 2009, I had the likes of David Miller, Christian Vandervelde, all kind of just encouraging me, just telling me to just simmer down a bit. And and that's what you need. And, you know, there's only Christian Nice mainly who's got that that real experience. Plus, he's in a bit of a rivalry with the other young lad. Siakov is his name, Mm. yeah? Sivakov, yeah. But... What it does do, I guess that, you know, we're all now anticipating the Tour de France. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think Ineos are just going to park the bus now, you know, like Marino, most of Marino's teams. And, you know, you can, you know, last year it was the same. When I say park the bus, I mean, you can see five, six guys running in the front at 430 odd watts and the group's down to 11 and five or six of them are uh, Ineos and what can you do in that situation? It's impossible, isn't it, Son? Yeah, well, you, we can already see that sort of many teams and many big riders hedge their bets by trying to do a result in, in the Giro. They're not taking their best lineups to the Tour de France, where Sky are. They're not only taking their best lineup, they're taking you know all their key riders and all their key support riders. Mm. So a team that's you know, it's very difficult to beat, they're going to be even more difficult to beat with uh, this and extra And it could strength. be the first time we've ever seen... Dave's famous two-pronged attack now become a three-pronged attack, <laughs> which I don't think you know. Mm. Is that is that even possible? Well, I don't, there's talk of it already. Well, I mean, we saw that? movie star trying that, haven't we? And, and it, it doesn't yeah. work, really, does it? I I mean, to go back to Teo, I just hope with him, we're obviously talking about him because he had an exceptional. Not exceptional in that we weren't expecting it, but he had a, a fantastic result on the time trial, and um, he had a great run into this race. 
it is early days for him and I do hope that any of that talk doesn't filter through too much in terms of pressure. I hope he just enjoys this experience, whatever it brings. If it, if it brings him within touching distance of a podium or better, fantastic. If it doesn't, this is invaluable learning experience for him because as you said, Bradley, you yeah. don't get this opportunity very often at Ineos. I think they have their 10. set leaders and that will be a wonderful yeah. result for him yeah. because not only would it be a great result, but he will have learned so much along the way yeah. that he, will not have, he wouldn't have had if Egan Bernal hadn't broken mm. his collarbone. So I just hope that he's able to frame whatever happens next in a positive light because it is positive yeah. really I think even not even if you focus on the result so much at the end of the day but just focus on racing every day for three weeks mm. yeah. just mm. even on a day that he's having a bad day and getting dropped to keep, on, to, to keep on suffering and get right to the line don't just if you're normally in that yeah. opportunity and you had another leader you just go alright I'm just going to take it as easy as I can today well, yeah. and go again tomorrow as you can answer this better than anybody, Brad. As a GC rider on a third week, three week race, you've got to go to the line every day, and that takes. I messaged practice. him last night, and, and I said to him, "Man for man, on one day you're in the ballpark, mm-hmm. you know, with the likes of Nibali and that. But you will have a bad day over the next three weeks. You might have a few bad days, and those are the days you learn more about yourself, don't you? And limit your losses. And I think that's that's where he, he doesn't want to throw the towel in and just drop way out of it, mm. because as we've seen year after year, this race can be tipped on its head in the last two or three days so what will Dave Brailsford have said to him Ooh. <laughs> in your best day Brailsford Dave will actually be just like he'll be the one simmering him down just keeping him calm. he won't be heaping pressure on him mm. he won't be you know he'll just be telling him to enjoy the experience you know try and enjoy each day but at the same time don't see that all the support we're putting around you in the bus in the morning and that as pressure that's just we're giving you the best opportunity to so don't see that as added pressure mm. You know, just give your best, and I think that's that's what. You know, Dave, I'm the biggest. You know, I Chris take piss all the time and that, but man management one on one is superb in those situations, and he doesn't actually get enough credit for that. Maybe he needs people like me who's been there rather than slagging him off all the time to, to actually say. But here we go. Look, I'll say now because I'm a journalist now <laughs> that um, he, he that's where he shines. You know, he, he lives every stage with those riders in the back of that bus and you know he'll pull someone to the back of the bus and give him a little pep talk and he is very very good at that listeners it's time to tell you a bit more about our sponsor lacquer lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bike and your gear it's a community of cyclists joining together to save each other money lacquer covers all the basics like theft and accidental loss and damage both at home and abroad it'll also cover you in sportives and competition races so long as you're not riding in the pro peloton how does Lacquer work, you ask? Well, instead of charging you a fixed premium, with Lacquer you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost and your share is proportionate to how much you insure. Lacquer locks in a maximum price cap to make sure there are no nasty surprises, even in months with lots of claims amongst the community. And when there are no claims that month, you could even pay nothing at all. Rest assured claims are accepted fast, usually within 24 hours. On average, Lacquer's members have saved 61% on bike insurance, so why don't you investigate the benefits for yourself? Find out more at lacquer.co.uk and enter the promo code WIGGINS to get £10 off. That's laka.co.uk and the promo code W-I-G-G-I-N-S. 
Team, a little bit of news that's been well covered this week already, but I do just want to touch on it. Marcel Kittel, the German sprinter, has terminated his contract with Katusha by mutual agreement. So he said in a statement, in the last two months, I've had the feeling of being exhausted. At this moment, I'm not able to train and race at the highest level. For this reason, I've decided to take a break and take time for myself, think about my goals and make a plan for my future. Brad, what do we make of this? Well, I don't know. We've just, it kind of leads you, it's very vague exhaustion last few months, you know, as he got glandular fever, things like that. From what we understand, he's not giving, no, not talking to anyone, he's not even talking to his agent. And, and obviously all it does is lead us to just speculate and, and, you know, naturally a few people are talking about mental health and things like that, but there's nothing's been said about mental health. But it leads people to think when it's very vague and, and it's mid-season, it's a bit odd, is it pressure? Has he fallen out with the team? We just don't know. And obviously it just leads us to speculate. But if you want to be left alone, then you could just say. I mean, Mark Cavendish did it last year, didn't he? And said, look, mm. you know, I've had, I think he did a video message, said look, a blood test have shown that I've had something wrong with me now for a while. I'm just going to take a breather, take a breather from social media and spend time with family. And I think that everyone's like, OK, so that's what's wrong, really. I think when it's like this, it just leads people to go, OK, so what's wrong? I remember last year, you know, Connie Shev criticised him heavily publicly during the tour. Yeah, things haven't been rosy no. for a long time in that environment. And you need, and you could say quite safely that we have seen far from the best of Marcel Kittel in that team. Yeah. So he's obviously coming there as a, as a real marquee rider, I would assume on a big contract. He struggled at quick step as well, didn't he? Mm. And the expectation yeah. will, will have been really high for him in that environment. And he hasn't lived up to that expectation. And so he's been, he's been getting lots of pressure, and publicly. Yeah. And we should say as well, because we are very much from the outside looking in and we don't know the details mm. of it, but it, it does sort of start to lead you down this path when you do start to talk about it and, and questions of mental health do come into it when you're talking about the pressure riders face. Orla, are we in a time in cycling or a time in sports where athletes can feel open enough to talk about this sort of stuff just that little bit, with that little bit more confidence, just talk about it that little bit more openly? We definitely are, and I think that's a really good thing. And I hope that riders and athletes and people in general feel confident and open speaking about it. But sometimes I think because it's spoken about a lot, we can confuse pressure and stress with, say, clinical anxiety or clinical depression. Mm. And they're very, very, very different. I mean, I've suffered depression, postnatal depression. And, and I can tell you, it's, it's a world away from feeling stress or feeling sad or feeling, yeah, just under pressure from your job. So I think it's good, but sometimes it doesn't help the debate or it doesn't help the social awareness of it because we can confuse the issues. And I think unless he's come out and said, I'm suffering depression, then we shouldn't be putting that on him because, yeah, just for society in general, I'm not sure Which, if that's a to, good thing. to make absolutely clear, we're, we're not No, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is, it is good that riders can be more open. I mean, we saw Pete Kenyuk as well saying um, that he needed time away from the sport. It was all a little bit too much for him. Um, Mark Cavendish recently put on Instagram that he'd sort of taken a break from social media because he needed to go away and find himself a little bit. He needed time to himself, to his family. And, and those things are good. And it also, I think, helps to humanise the riders a bit, which is, which is what we need because they're not machines. They're not robots. And for fans, for journalists, for sponsors, they all need to realise, I think, if you're, if you're trying to create and sustain a healthy, sustainable, responsible sport, then you've got to give a little bit of support to the riders, which is why, in a way, a mid-season termination of contract is a little bit bizarre, really, unless he does want to absolutely break away from the sport. But... 
in my mind, if if there was that support from the team, why not just keep him until he feels a bit better? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they've got time to do that. I think as elite as the sport is getting, as as hard as it's getting, as competitive as it's getting, as the season's getting longer every year, I just there's there's no room for the week. It's not it's not a sport for people to be okay. Just go and have a go and have a break. So he is still an. We need every rider here because there's going to be riders injured, broken bones, this, that, and the other. They don't have time to, to, you know, the welfare and things like that. To, to we could take someone else on. But we all have moments of weakness. So what? Where does that leave those moments of weakness? Just completely unsupported, or yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think as when you're in that position as well, I think you're right. When you touched on, is becoming more socially acceptable in every environment to voice mental health issues. I think that, and I think that's a great thing. When you're in his situation, you don't want to show weakness either, mm. and you prefer to say nothing. Especially and as a sprinter. Yeah. As a sprinter, as a team leader, because you know someone is like snapping at your heels to take that spot from you. And you know that that opportunity may not come back again. So the last thing you want to do is actually show weakness. So I think in that situation, the easiest thing is to say nothing. I said to someone at Team Sky once, in 2014, I won the Tour of California. And for the first time in two years since the Tour, I was getting back to a level where I thought I'd be competitive at the Tour again, even to do a job for Chris Froome, which is what I was building to do. I was climbing wells, time trialing wells, you know, and, and then I found out after that I wasn't doing the Tour that year. And I had an argument with the senior figure at Sky, and I said, do you know how, how hard and how much, I've, how much I've worked to come back to this level after two years and all the fame and everything? And they said, yeah, but that's what you pay for. It was just, it was brutal. There was no sympathy. There was no, there was no I know, and that must have been really hard for you. It was just, well, that's what you paid for. You made a really good point as well in the breakaway where we were discussing how teams now have psychiatrists a lot as well as psychologists. And Brian Smith had made the point that, that they were there to help the riders. But as you said, and, and Simon, you backed this up when we were chatting in the green room earlier, they're not there to help the riders. They're not there to support their mental health. They're there to help them win. And that's it. And that, when you put it that way, course, absolutely. Yeah. It, it becomes a lot more cynical when you look at it that way, doesn't yeah. it? Go and see what problems he's got at home. Why is he not performing for us, you know? Yeah, I think you'll see, you see the, the, the teams are all about focusing on performance. And the riders that do need some outside help, they're sourcing that from... Out, externally. W- yeah. Externally, not from within the teams. Because again, I get think to the point, the teams aren't there to... Pro- they're not there providing that. And they don't want to seem to be as weak mm-hmm. in a team environment where that message is going to be relayed back to their sports directors and the guys writing the contracts and, 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 and building the teams. He has been in a place for, for a long time, though, where everyone has wanted a piece of him, where he's been, the, the, you know, he's, he's sort of come and taken Cavs' crown as the, the fastest man in the peloton, and everyone wants a piece of him, and he's, he's sort of polite enough to do all of his post-race interviews yeah, in English and German. And that might be part of the and, exhaustion, you know, the, you know? He can't, but just, just say that, just say, look... I've been at the top for a long time. I need a break. But then there's also, I mean, that's an absolute privilege as well. You know, we seem to enjoy that whenever, yeah. and every every person enjoys accolades when they come your way. And I guess that's the difficulty of finding the balance between all the praise and finding your level of who you really are. So we wish Marcel Kittle well. He was, of course, scheduled to ride the Tour of California this week. He's not, of course, uh, doing that. He'll be on this show next week. (laughs) If if you'd like to come on the show, we'd welcome him with open arms. Um, He's not in California. Eurosport will be. We'll Um, take him over the pub over the road. (laughs) Sue, sort him (laughs) out. You want to know what his option is? Come and have a pint and talk to Brad. Come and have a lock-in in Feltham. So the Tour of California will be on uh, Eurosport this week, on the Eurosport player and live on Eurosport. Keep across all the action there. Right, we've got a little bit of time left to fit in a couple of listener questions for you, Brad. We've got 
not one but two legendary sportsmen for you. Okay. They're, they're listeners with a certain profile. Here's the first one. He's going to introduce himself. Have I got to guess who they are? Well, I want you to guess who the second one is. The first man is going to introduce okay, himself. Yeah. Let's go for um, it. So there's a bit of a giveaway. Let's go. Sir Bradley, Jimmy White here. I just wondered, are you going to go into coaching now that you've retired? So there's Jimmy White there. His question for you. Any plans? Um, I did actually, I would, I would have liked, I liked helping people, you see, and I would have liked to have done some coaching and that. And when you retire, you do think about kind of natural pathways, but it's so saturated now. Everyone is doing, every man and his dog's doing coaching now in this country and, you know, with the booming cycle and that. But I think you, you start filtering out what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I realised after a, a year or so of hating cycling, mm-hmm. And you know, refusing to come and do the Eurosport job, that actually then I sort of <laughs> fell in love with it again and realised how much I love talking about cycling. But you need a period of transition to be mm. able to find that again. So you start falling into the things you want to do, you know. And I think I found this that I want to do. So probably coaching, I'm not. I'm not going to end up doing. I don't. I realised some of the best coaches I had were on call 24/7. Tim Kerris in particular, you know, he lived that job. It is a massive commitment. Can anyone go into coaching? Is it a bit of a well? You've got, I've got nothing um, else to do. So I mean, you were saying you were talking about well, some of the guys in the team. Well, if you Google cars. cycling coaches, it seems that anyone can go into coaching these days. It's it's an opinion, isn't it, as to what someone thinks you need to get fit? Is it like football in that the best footballers do not, certainly don't make as we've seen? Well, I think don't make the bit, best coaches. I think that's Is a bit it? different because coaching. You talk about physical aspects of coaching. You don't even have to have ridden a bike to coach someone. Tim Kerrison um, doesn't come from a cycling. But a tactician. As I was saying on the on the TV earlier, a lot of the blokes in the cars ain't got a clue. You know, they were the worst tacticians on bike. Some of the best riders, you know, the likes of we were talking earlier about Matt Heyman, what a brilliant tactician is Bernard Eisel. These guys, they're the riders that you, you imagine one day will be tacticians. Stuart O'Grady was incredible at reading a race. Yeah, um, Arietta, who's the main director at, at Movie Star. David Miller, you know, you see the, the insight he gives on the TV. He'd make a fantastic sort of tacticianist on the road because he reads the race very well he ran the race in Copenhagen when Cav won so you know I think football's different that's like sort of management isn't it you know and I think they manage and coach a team or manage certainly and they have coaches under them but I think cycling's a bit different right? I think good riders make good coaches mm. but good riders won't necessarily make good managers as I'm proving with my team <laughs> <laughs> well as it, there, you've still got plenty of time um, okay here's question two for you Brad see what you make of this hey Bradders how's it going mate you alright we're just down here in Old Felder at the old Eurosport studio got one question to ask you mate going to a bit of Aussie mode can't help it but um, if you had to choose a cyclist to do the tandem with who would it be mate Give us your answer on a postcard. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> Is that all right? He loved that, wasn't he? Um, you had to, so you didn't know who he was when we played that to you. No, I didn't. You had no. to guess no. who that but was. But when you know who it is, it's like, okay, it's, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah. Then furry grey sideburns. So before we get Simon, as a native, to rate Ronnie O'Sullivan's Australian accent out of 10, can you can you answer his question for us? Um, like, who would you ride with first? I'll, of all? I'll, have, I'll, I'll put put your money where your mouth is, Ron. <laughs> where would you go with Ronnie O'Sullivan on on your uh, tandem? Round his house because he apparently does a mean curry. He's, he's something of a chef nowadays. Yeah, he lives he? on a barge yeah. now, does he? He spends part of his time on a barge, and you can yeah, he's, he's done a, a bit of a tour for Eurosport as well. So um, you can. A bit hard to play snooker on a barge. 
Or well, waves. It, yeah, it depends on the current, presumably. Um, it's more difficult to get the table on the barge, I should think. Got the roof. Um, where did you first met Ronnie? Sorry, where yeah, did well, you first Steve meet Davis Ronnie? Steve ones from Argos. Well, yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's, it's all falling apart right at the end. Where did you first meet Ronnie? Ronnie, I met Ronnie on, on the M40, uh, a service station. Uh, we were in a petrol station on the services. He was driving up north to the UK Masters somewhere. And I was coming back from somewhere or another. I can't remember. We stood in the queue. To pay for the petrol. Like, you all right, Ron? What do you say? Right, but <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Pay for petrol. Um, Boringly straightforward. Yeah. He goes, You put some weight on. I said, Cheers for that. <laughs> Retired. You still doing that bike lot? I said, No, Ron. Packed it in, didn't I? Mugs game. That bike no, that was pretty much like. it. Um, I was Simon's just glad he recognised me because I'd have been a right idiot going, You're right, Ron? Simon, rate his accent for us out of ten. Not as good as Brad's. Not as good as Brad's. <laughs> Orla, you're as a as a, a I want to say a, poly, a polyglot. Uh, yeah, I want to be polyglot. I would say. Um, yeah, even as a non-native, I would say that's pretty poor. Sorry, Ronnie. Sorry. Sorry, Ron. Well, on that antipodean note, that's it for this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer bicycle insurance powered by the community do you want to say anything i feel like you do no 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 just uh, more sponsors the merrier <laughs> you, know? you can stay up to date with brad on social media and, and who's sponsoring the front cover you? of the daily mail as usual yes. and uh, <laughs> no um no, what my social handles at sir we go um, at sir we go uh, plus you can follow eurosport on twitter and instagram at eurosport underscore uk plus you can find us on facebook many thanks again to Simon Gerrans for joining us yeah, Simon, thanks, Simon we can keep up to date with you and, uh, and the Goldman Sachs world perhaps not <laughs> just you you can keep up to date more on here than on my social media <laughs> at Simon Gerrans that's if right you, if you want to get in touch with Simon Orla thank you so much for joining us you'll be back on our screens tomorrow for stage Maybe. three yeah. of the Giro d'Italia she's got three weeks to go <laughs> three, um, three weeks, weeks in Felton in the meantime where can we keep up to date with you at Sports Orla is at my handle at Sports Orla yeah. on social media on Twitter and Instagram yeah, Twitter and Instagram both the same um, thank you for joining us we'd love to see you again finally from me Graham Wilgos it's goodbye if you've enjoyed the show please do subscribe share your thoughts and rate us on your podcast platform of choice Brad we'll see you next week yep see you next week The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.